The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing Hello everyone and welcome to the Boston Podcast. This is Dave and welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, lovers, muggers, thieves, all you Bostonians out there. Hope you're having a good day. This is produced by Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. By the way, we produce podcasts here at our Westwood studios. I have a Westwood resident with me today. My guest today will be attorney Bob Shea. That's right. How about that? How you feeling, Bob? Great. Can you say that again a little louder? Great. All right. So we, I didn't believe you the first time. <laughs> if you could pull the mic a little bit closer, Bob is uh, a true gentleman of the bars. The way I would, I would describe, I've known Bob for a long time back to my lawyer's weekly days, but, um, so, uh, and a Westwood resident. So he, he rode his, uh, skateboard over here. If I understand it correctly, that's how close you are. It was a scooter, actually. A scooter, yeah, of course. I got to remember <laughs> the, the uh, where we are in, in society now. Everybody has to have a scooter that they rented and then threw away or something. I never understand that. Before we get to Bob, we got some awesome stuff. You'll hear about sort of what's going on with employer uh, employee harassment kind of issues because he's not because he harasses people. And let's get that right. He's a lawyer. He's an employment lawyer, longtime member of the bar. Um, and uh, so we'll inevitably get into some Me Too stuff. We're also going to tell you about a book you absolutely should be reading that Bob just discovered, which is awesome. And I'm going to talk about his journey from Met, Met fandom to Red Sox fandom. So um, if he's not fully converted, we'll hopefully do that by the end of the show. I do want to tell you about our sponsor, U.S. Postal Service, second largest employer in the United States, offering paid training and ways to move up. Apply today. USPS.com slash careers, U.S. Postal Service, deliver for the nation. We're going to play good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. So you got this tip from listening to the Mark Marin podcast. So since we're all about podcasting here, we'll do a shout out to the godfather of podcasting, Mark Marin. So you enjoy that one? Uh, I enjoy the podcast. The podcast, the yeah, yeah, the yeah, podcast. yeah, yeah. It's my second favorite podcast. Okay, the, what's first? Is Tim Ferriss the first? No, okay. you. Oh me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good on you, Bache. Uh, I didn't even realize what you were doing there. Very clever. Very clever. Um, so, yeah, he. I've been listening to him for years. Did you, I mean, have you listened to some of his? Like when Obama was on his. Uh, I never gone back to that one. I, I started listening uh, maybe more recently, two or three years ago. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was post Obama. Yeah, but I, I listened pretty much. I probably listened to most episodes in the last two or three years. You ever seen his TV show? Uh, he has a TV show. It was just called Marin, and he had was, that. He's yeah. got another one. What's it called? Oh it's, no! Uh, well, he's on the, uh, Glow. Glow, the, right, the, yeah, right. the wrestling, the uh, gorgeous ladies of wrestling show. Yeah, he um, had quite a career. I mean, yeah. I think. He was a little down and out when he started the podcast, and it's been amazing. I mean, he's in the movie The Joker with a small piece. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Um, he's uh, in the show Marin, which you can you can find streaming somewhere. It was 
like Curb Your Enthusiasm style, like semi-autobiographical show. And I thought very good. I th- and and it, yes, it did chronicle his days as um, in some fashion about, you know, he was his story is well known. He was a down and out comedian, just started doing podcasting in his garage when podcasting wasn't even really such a thing. And then years later, he's got Obama in his in his still in his garage. <laughs> the garage is probably a lot nicer now, and I think he recently moved the studio. But, he did, yeah, yeah. So um, he's a, he's a BU guy. That's he, right. He, yeah, he, yeah. Talks, he talks fondly about his time at, in Boston. That's right, and he, yeah, he did the the Boston stand up scene and all that. And um, yeah, he's your classic, you know, cantankerous, you know, curmudgeonly guy. Never had kids, only cats, you know. But <laughs> but but just a great. Great interviewer. I usually yeah. check and see who he's got on. If it's someone I'm even mildly interested in, I'll, I'll listen. And he's had, um, you know, so so many stars on his show. He also has what's considered to be one of the best podcasts uh, episodes of all time, which and now it might be viewed a little differently because it was with Louis C.K., whose career has really um, been put on the back burner by the Me Too movement, I think fair to say. But they they did a podcast where they were actually making amends. Like it was a very personal conversation. They had had some feud in the past, so we should go back and check that one. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but the, he recommended a book on his pod. So tell us about that, uh, Bob. Please. Yeah, a book by uh, uh, author Kurt Anderson. Mm-hmm. It was actually one. I think he was the. Uh, I think he started. He was an editor of Spy Magazine. Do you remember? Oh, you remember that? yeah, I do. Way yeah. back. Um, and but he wrote this book called Fantasyland, mm-hmm. which I find very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marin had uh, highly recommended it. He mentioned to her a number of times on his shows. And I, I I read it, and it's uh, cool. It, it kind of goes back in American history from the you know, pilgrims to the present day and talking about Americans' uh, somewhat unique uh, inclination uh, toward fantasy. Right. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of examples over the over the years. Uh, now, when you say fantasy, religion, you're not you're not talking about like medieval um, dragons and such. You're talking about Suspending belief is that? Yes, yes. You know, starting with I mean, the the Puritans and uh, and I mean not to knock religion, but but some of the the strongly held religious beliefs of, of some folks uh, sure. and uh, as sort of the very beginning of the country, but just sort of taking it through historically, which mm-hmm. is, you know, through witchcraft, I guess. Sa- uh, witchcraft, Salem, witchcraft yeah. uh, you know, even going for the the gold rush and oh. uh, you now know, why was the gold rush? Why is that fantasy? Uh, you know, it just. It, it was sort of sold to people as uh, moving people out west. Oh, I just see. the idea of of, of uh, riches, where a very small percentage of those people actually uh, realize okay. that. Yep. But uh, you know, through the years, people you know, people like P.T. Barnum, mm-hmm. you know, that almost uniquely American, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that that tapped into this this somewhat uniquely American, uh, you know, leaning toward going believing something, uh, yeah. suspending reality to some degree. Uh, and you know, he, he, it's funny, he wrote, he said he completed the book before the 2016 election. I was just going to say, so he said, yeah. Donald Trump was not going to be mentioned in the book, but, it, but, uh, he had to, to, uh, add a chapter to address sort of the, the Donald Trump as president, not to get into politics, but yeah. it's, uh, you know, interesting how he makes that connection, but there's so many connections and a few things are maybe a little bit far-fetched he tax for example david thoreau and the whole idea of uh, you know walden pond and uh, somewhat fantasy uh but a meaning, lot of meaning why should we listen to this guy who went alone in the woods and claims to have found some epiphanies yeah, yes and he makes some you know suggestion that is somewhat hypocritical and that <laughs> uh, but 
uh, you know, so he maybe goes a, stretches a little bit, but I found that the whole thing, you know, fascinating, puts American history in, uh, in some perspective. Different in other words, this has always been the hucksterism to some, some degree it, and the manipulation to some degree um, existed back then, too, and still exists, right? Yes. What, yeah, and what, what's amazing is we, you know, we see, uh, read the book, you know, The Crucible or see the movie The Crucible, if you want to do that, but, um, and how people really believed in witches and how to the, to the point where we killed witches because we thought they were witches. And we look back on that and we say that, oh my God, that's absurd. Thank God we figured out that there's no such thing as witchcraft. But it, but the same sort of, uh, blind faith exists today. And like you said, you don't, we, we don't need to make this a big deep dive into religion, but there are people that believe that their religious convictions come from something that they can't see that probably doesn't exist. You know, that, that you know, they, they, and there's, there's tension there. Yeah. And and now with the, the, you know, I hate to say, you know, fake news, but it's, it's a scary proposition to think that truth is, is maybe more elusive now than ever because of the information age and everything, you know, it's just when the article comes down on social media and people post it and they think it's gospel and you got to look at where it comes from people, right? It's going to keep coming. I mean, it, it, there's a guy now, I think calls himself control alt face, he, or maybe that's just what he calls these videos where he superimposes somebody's face on another. And there's one I just saw yesterday where it's a, it's a famous scene in the movie, the shining where Jack Nicholson is beginning to lose his mind and yell at, at his wife, Shelley Duvall. And the person did a, uh, who created this video did a split screen. And on the bottom, it's Nicholson as the scene as it appears. And on the top, it's, it's Jim Carrey doing the exact same scene. And it, it's, it's uncanny how perfect it is and it, identical the scene is in every way, except that it's Jim Carrey's face. And I started you know, asking a couple of my friends, hey, why did Jim Carrey do this? Was he just like trying to show that he could imitate Nicholson? Turns out he didn't do it at all. It was his face was superimposed by digital manipulation. You just couldn't tell. And so it boggles the mind to think of these these possibilities. You know, there's, you know, the potential, you know, as a lawyer, you know, there's potential of, you know, video being brought in a case as evidence when the thing didn't even happen. Right. So, so what are we going to do? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> these are scary times. <laughs> yeah, so the, that book is called uh, Fantasyland. Uh, what was I'm sorry, author's name again? Is Kurt Anderson. Kurt, Kurt Anderson with a, with a K. No, this, uh, they're not a sponsor of the show, people, but we like to do, <laughs> we do a service here. We recommend things, so we'll put a link to so you can uh, go buy Fantasyland or get it, the audio book or whatever you prefer. Bob Shea, of course, uh, employment. Now you represent businesses. So I am. I'm trying to keep businesses on the straight and narrow. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good wear way. Wear the white hat. That's a good way of putting it. Um, so uh, Bob did grow up on Long Island, but uh, he's been in Boston forever. So I think it's fair to lock him in the Boston vault as we do with our guests. Um, wow. That's just, that's the sound of security, right? That's the sound of, I can never tell. Uh, all right. I said it was a Mets fan, not a Yankees fan. <laughs> Good point. Uh, he's in the Boston vault. So Bob, uh, now you went to BC. You're an Eagle. I am. Okay. So, um... Tell us what that experience was like. And for someone from Long Island to go to Boston College, was, was there an uh, in, internal struggle before you made that decision? No, 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 no. Uh, BC was pretty popular on Long Island in my high school. Actually, seven of us from my high school went to BC. Is that right? Yeah. Is that right? And um, immediately liked the city? Or, I mean, I suppose you could have just spent the four years right at Chestnut Hill on campus. There's a lot to do, right? 
Well, yeah, it could have. I mean, I immediately loved the city. I grew up in Long Island about an hour outside of Manhattan. So going into the city was a big deal. It was also yeah. an ordeal. Going to, a, going to a Mets game would be an ordeal. I got to BC and I'd hop on the Green Line and you know, be to the Garden or the Fenway or the Cambridge, like music. So I would go in and see shows all the time. I said, this is, this is wonderful. Yeah, I wonder if if that's not as much of that these days because you said you, that rang a rang a bell when you said taking the train in to see the Mets, you know, and it being an ordeal. Uh, yeah, I remember it would be like a half day from school, and I went to Milton Academy, and so we would walk down to the T station at Mattapan, I believe, and take the red line in, and it was always fun, but it was always a little bit of an adventure. I mean, I was a scared little kid. <laughs> scared little kids so to go in the big city and then you end up at park street station and and we always got lost because i mean heck there are like four different ways to go at park street station right um but um so you so you come to boston and you never left i guess right i went to law school in dc okay i worked in dc for a few years after that so i was in dc for seven eight years and move back up. Now, do you still take pride in Boston College, uh, the, the athletics, or, or just its presence here in the city and all that? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the athletics has been a little bit of a challenge. Lately. <laughs> lately. Pride. Right. Yeah. But uh, no, I'm still a faithful eagle. And, it, uh, I, loved, I loved my four years there. And uh, when my daughters went there, my wife went there. It's, uh, uh, nephews and nieces went there. My brother went there. His wife went there. So we're... Were you pre or post Doug Flutie? You're you're pre Doug Flutie, I guess. I was just pre. I okay. left. I left. He came. Yeah. Uh, and actually, my wife was there for four, four years. That Flutie was there. He really changed things, didn't he? Uh, yeah. No, he I mean, really, in, ter- in terms of putting Boston College on the map. Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was on that traje- trajectory, but uh, certainly, you know, in the you know in the, the sports world, he mm-hmm. certainly did. I mean, that has a long tradition of. Of, uh, of good sports teams and basketball, football, obviously hockey, but uh, he brought it to a new level. Yeah, and um, I mean, he was a sensation. I, I think someone should do a bio on on him. I haven't seen like the the quintessential like documentary on Doug Flutie's life because he was you know big man on campus at BC, um, won the Heisman Trophy despite being short. You know, he, he was known. He's still probably known best for that pass, right? The, right? the day before Thanksgiving, he throws it to Phelan. They beat uh, Bernie Kosar in Miami. But then, I mean, he went, you know, he was chums with Donald Trump. Donald Trump signed him to a huge contract to play for the New Jersey Generals of the USFL. Just really weird trajectory. And then became, you know, one of the greatest players in uh, Canadian football history. Yep. And uh, and now he, he still walks among us. You see him here and there. But... Um, He's got that band, which isn't very good. Anyway. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he was, he was you know, a great athlete despite his size. I think he always had a chip on his shoulder because of that and uh, had to struggle to make it in professional football. And that's why he signed with Trump and the Generals initially. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it's a remarkable story. There is a 30 for 30 that's on him. Well, there is. Him. Yeah, very okay. worth watching if you're at all a, a well, just a, even a football fan, but definitely if you're a BC or a, a Clutie fan. See, I, I knew there should be a doc on him, and there is one. Okay, so I had the idea first. No, I didn't. Uh, so should BC be it, – it's weird. Like, people think of Boston as a college town, but – it, it's and it is because <laughs> there were so many colleges, but it's not a college town in any way, shape, or form like 
um, I don't know, like Happy Valley in Pennsylvania, like which is like Penn State, which is it might as well just be everything centered around Penn State, Penn State athletics, Penn State, you know, uh, figures and, and everybody knows who the president is, things like that. Is And so should should people pay more attention to BC, I guess is the question, or... I mean, there's so much competition. I mean, from right. in, the, in the sports area, you know. Yeah, we're just talking about sports. Yeah, yeah college is always uh, you know, in a, uh, as I said, like second fiddle to professional yeah. sports in Boston. So that's has that has that against it. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, if, if the football program, just like it did in the uh, early '80s, what with Flutie, if you know, it comes around and. Uh, it was a top ten program or top twenty program again. It'll get more attention. You know, yeah, kid, that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a, it always seems to be fleeting. Like when Calipari was at UMass, that was a huge deal, and he of course shot his way out of town like he does everywhere. Um, I see. It's even more difficult now because of the way the, the college football has gone. I mean, you have the you have the Alabamas and the Clemsons, and yeah, you know, the, the, and it's just very difficult difficult for any school like BC to compete with those sorts of programs. Do you like college football? General? I do. Yeah. Um, do you root for someone other than BC? Yeah. Uh, you know, probably one of those odd people that roots for both Notre Dame and BC. Wow. Yeah, that is. Yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. Growing up in New York, you kind of had that that uh, Subway alumni that supports Notre Dame. And uh, sure. so I was a Notre Dame fan from way back, and going to BC didn't change that except when they play each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, no, I've never. So have you ever been to uh, South Bend? I have twice. Yeah. yeah. Really? Two BC games. Uh, BC lost oh, really? one and and uh, won one. But that's a, I mean it's a unbelievable uh, venue and uh, you know place for uh, game day for college football. As is sure Austin for UT, Texas, and Penn State, and Happy Valley, and Michigan, and I mean all those places like that. Uh, great game day experience is uh, incredible. But uh, I think Notre Dame seems to me special. Yeah, I've never been, but, um, you know, I've seen pictures <laughs> and I have friends that have gone to Notre Dame. And, yeah, we I don't I don't think I think we think the you know, everything centers around Tom Brady and the Patriots and the universe, which, you know, it does. But but the, for people that haven't had an experience of a big of a big college, you know, Big Ten or otherwise, um, it's like religion to, to people there. Right. And it's just sort of an interesting phenomenon that people wouldn't understand here is. It's like if you live in the state of Alabama, you root for Alabama. You don't have to have gone to the school necessarily, right? It's just it's just of that. And um, was the game that BC won that you attended in Notre Dame? That wasn't the one where uh, David Gordon hit the field goal at the end, was it? I no, no, no. I, I fortunately was not there in person for that one. It was an upset, actually. Notre Dame was having a good year under Ty Willingham, and they were okay. unde- undefeated. And uh, uh, BC came into town, and some strange reason Notre Dame put on their green jerseys for that game. They usually mm. reserve them for really special games, so it was uh, uh, maybe a little bit of an omen. They came out with their green jerseys, and uh, and BC beat them. I think it was uh, 14-7. A lot of tur- Notre Dame had a lot of turnovers. Right. So it was an upset for sure. Yeah. And BC was fortunate. Yeah, it's always... That's always fun. I mean, that that's when, when we get an underdog team like that. I think the team that I was referring to, which was, uh, I think that was Glenn Foley's team. And um, I remember shortly thereafter, I was, I was, I got out of law school and I was jobless and I was volunteering for a sports agent, terrific guy, Jack Mueller, who was um, courting Glenn Foley as a client. And I heard him uh, on the phone talking to Foley's dad, really liked him. 
and said, your son's going to make the NFL. If, if Bubby Brister can be a starting QB in the NFL, then Glenn Foley can't do it. And he was for, he was sort of right, he was for a little while. He, he, yeah, he, I think he played for the Jets. He had a That's couple right. of big Moments. games yeah. Where, yeah, where, where a lot of yards, but he also threw for a lot of interceptions. That's true, yeah. And BC, uh, I mean, the roster of QBs that have made the NFL is pretty impressive. Yeah. Quarterback University. Uh, all right, you've acquitted yourself well, Bob Shea. We're going to let you out of the, the Boston Vault, so congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I kind of like the Boston Vault. I'd stay there as <laughs> long if you'd like, but let's Well, you know on. what? Okay, I will. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I did have one more question for you. I might as well throw it out. Uh, you mentioned you're a Westwood resident, right, where we record here at our Pod 617 studios, and... Uh, we were just talking about the the uh, behemoth of the outdoor mall that is University. What do we call it? University Station. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to be Westwood Station in yeah. its more behemoth uh, yeah. uh, plans, but that got scaled back. I think it uh, dealt with a uh, uh, problems in the real estate market at that time initially. So they scaled it back. I think it's like fifty percent of what it was supposed to be. Is that right? Be, believe it or not, it was supposed to be bigger. Jeez. Yeah. Because in the meantime, is... Legacy Place went in, and that was that's right. been a home run for. Yeah. Those folks. For Denim, yeah. And and so I was up in Linfield over the weekend visiting friends, and I was at the Yard House, and they have the same thing in Lin- I was looking around. I was like, this looks just like Legacy Place and kind of like the university, which, by the way, confusing. University. There's no university there, right? It's just University Ave. Right. Get that right. Change that, Westwood. Will you change it to something else? Anything. Anyway, but um, I guess my question for you is this. Tell me whether you think this is a, a good thing or not. Like the, these big open malls, like there's there's a there's a King's Bowling for some reason in a lot of them. There's a, usually a Wegmans or a Whole Foods or a, and I don't want to be super cynical and say, oh, look at um, ugly America, but I don't know. Is it a good thing? Well, I guess if you compare it to indoor malls, I'd say it's a, it's a good thing. And yeah. hey, Legacy Place has some great places. I mean, it's really sort of changed the, you know, the, Increase the options dramatically for folks, yep. you know, in this area. So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, these you go to Linfield, you go to Dedham Legacy Place, and you, you forget which which town you're in. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, you're right. They are certainly nicer in terms of aesthetics than some random indoor mall, like so take you know the South Shore Plaza and Braintree or whatever, which is fine. But it's it's you know it's a little rough around the edges these days. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I guess I like them. I guess it's, 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 um, th- th- there is just something so antiseptic about them, you know? Right. Yeah. But I, but I do think, I mean, I think the, the you have to make it an experience because mm-hmm. people shop online, but to get them out, you know, and they'll go shopping at a, some of the stores there rather than buy online and stop at the yard house and, you know, have a beer and some food or one of the other places. So it's, yeah, I think it's all about the experience. All right. Let's go get a beer at the yard house. No, it's, only, it's 8.30 a.m. We're not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> not yet anyway. Not at least until 11 a.m. Uh, let me take a short break to tell you about the U.S. Postal Service, our proud sponsor, the second largest employer in the United States, offering paid training and ways to move up. Apply today at usps.com slash careers. By the way, they'll be holding an information session on hiring at the Postal Service Friday, October 11th. That's this Friday. It's coming up, kids, from 11 a.m., to 2 p.m., 25 Dorchester Ave, room B6, Boston, Mass. Come and get information on the jobs at the post office while receiving assistance with the application process. USPS.com slash careers is the website the United States Postal Service deliver for the nation. I also want to thank our friends at Adori. That's A-D-O-R-I. 
if you like gadgets, if you like fun, if you like listening to podcasts and you want to try it in a little bit of a different way and maybe an easier way, some of those uh, apps that deliver you podcasts can be a little clunky. I'm looking at you, Apple. Sorry. Uh, oh, I might be struck struck down by lightning if I badmouth Apple. Um, so uh, Adori app, Adori podcast player, A-D-O-R-I. Go to the app store and download that. And what you will get is an interactive experience. So you'll see photos and links and potentially polls and other things and like clicks throughs to videos and things like that. So while you're listening to your podcast, because we multitask, it's what we do. People like my son cannot watch a TV show without also being on his device. Griff, we're going to talk about that later. But um, Adori uh, Interactive Podcast Player, it's pretty cool. And we want to thank our friends at Adori. All of our podcasts here, pod617.com, are interactive. So you could be looking at a photo of handsome Bob Shea right now at uh, ogletree.com. You can click through and learn all about him. Anyway, anyway, um, you listen to podcasts. You, you mentioned, by the way, this is a this is a parenthesis, but and you mentioned uh, we're going to get to that a little bit later. But um, what do you like other than you mentioned? Uh, Mark Maron is one of the godfathers of podcasting. Yep, you like him. Yep, yep. He's, I'm a big fan. Any uh, any other podcasts that are on your uh, hit list? Uh, Tim Ferriss. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I listen to him. Uh, he's of- entrepreneur stuff, right? He is, because, yeah. yeah. He's very much so, and he's, uh, yeah, he's, he always has interesting guests. He's written a number of books, mm-hmm. Four Hour Work Week, Four Hour Chef, and Tools of Titans, and a lot of it's, you know, the, the self-help variety, but he also has uh, uh, a lot of interesting folks on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, we're in a culture now where you, you hear an idea, and you're like, that would make a good podcast. It's just funny. It's something you never would have said in the past, but, like, there's one which I admit I haven't sampled, but it's it's all about uh, diseases, which sounds depressing. But they just do a deep dive into how this disease came about and where it started, you know, when typhoid Mary or whatever, and the whole story of that. And so, you know, anything can be a podcast. Um, so let's talk about what you do. Um, so you not only do you do you represent uh, clients in. Uh, I guess all matters relating to business, but you you also mediate cases, you arbitrate cases. You've been doing that for a while. I have. It's. Uh, I mean, I'd like to do a little bit more on the mediation front, but I've been uh, an arbitrator since actually '95 when I was a pretty young lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, American Arbitration Association created an employment law panel, and uh, I had been working on some matters before AAA, and they uh, asked me to uh, if I'd be interested in joining the panel. So it goes back to '95, and uh, you know, I have a few cases every year, and mm-hmm. I think I do a good job. Yep. <laughs> so, so uh, we were we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording. But what I think some people don't get is the the element of confidentiality. And so, say there's a sex harassment claim, um, and you know the I mean, let's face it. I mean, the, there have been so many in the news these days. And if someone of prominence is accused of you know workplace misconduct and harassing someone, pr- plaintiff brings the claim. Um, and then sometimes they get settled quietly. And is there a tension because like the, the, the forces of the, of society, this is not, a, I'm not, I'm not putting this very well. The, 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 what did we call that in law school? Um, the, uh, public, public policy. Yeah. yeah. Public policy. So public policy would, would favor that a person like this gets, uh, punished, you know, if they did it provided they did something wrong. Correct. And yet oftentimes the, the plaintiff will say, well, if you're going to give me this much money, I'm happy to keep it quiet. Is that, does that come up a lot or? Uh, all the time. Okay. I mean, that's one of the 
you know, major issues in, in employment cases is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of issues, certainly the potential damages, liability, uh, but uh, also, you know, being judged in the, you know, the, the court of public opinion and mm-hmm. just bad publicity and depending upon the business and the type of claim. So yeah, if matters can be handled in a way that doesn't uh, hit uh, lawyers weekly or yeah. uh, uh, well, the Wall Street Journal or, or, or social media, that's usually a good thing, good thing for the employer. And sometimes, you know, oftentimes for the uh, employee as well. Have you had a case where it was more important for the accuser to get a public apol- apology than it was to get a big check? Or is the, it always about the money, Bob? Uh, the accuser, uh, yeah, no, it, it is. Certainly it's, it's, it's frequently expressed. Uh, as a uh, one of the things that the individual, that the the victim or the alleged victim is is looking for, and uh, I you know I I think there is there are many times where that's you know very much a heartfelt uh, desire mm-hmm. of a person who who believes that they were a victim of discrimination or harassment or retaliation. Uh, yeah, I think. Certainly, other times there's individuals that are more, much more concerned about being uh, getting financial a financial remedy. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, I mean, do you see instances where uh, you know you say to yourself as a mediator, you're trying to hear both sides of the story, and it's kind of a loaded question, but <laughs> and you know you you say to yourself this is BS. Like, like the, you know, this woman, uh, well, now I'm stereotyping this person, this employee is accusing their boss of inappropriate behavior when really it, it really wasn't much of anything. I mean, it, this is a real simpl- simplistic question. I now realize, but how do you handle that? I guess is the question. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends on my role, mediator versus arbitrator, right? Uh, you know, a mediator, I'm really, uh, I'm hired as a neutral to help the parties resolve the dispute. So mm-hmm. if it's going to mediation, unless it's a forced mediation, but if it's a voluntary mediation, both sides want to resolve the matter. Mm-hmm. So even if the employer thinks it's BS, you know, it's BS, yeah. uh, they still have determined that it's best to resolve this and not defend it. They, th- they think that it's you know a matter that's not going to be disposed of quickly, or it's or maybe they're concerned about publicity or uh, whatever the case. They want to resolve it. And uh, they want to use a third party mediator in helping them resolve it. So, I mean, I don't, my, my job is not to judge yeah. <laughs> in that role is not to determine the merits of the claim, but to you know, help the parties. Yeah. That's interesting because you, because people think of it as an alternative to going before a judge, like figure out who's right. But with mediation, as you said, your job, your, you, you have a job and your job is to get them together. Right. And, and now more than ever, uh, you know, courts and agencies are using mediation, you know, early on in the process to try to get the parties to resolve the matter before there gets to a point where there has to be a decision on the merits. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm here to tell you about an affliction that affects millions of Americans every year. It's growing and there's no end in sight. I'm talking, of course, about podcast envy. Hi, I'm George. I suffered from podcast envy. Sure, I had a podcast, but it wasn't the biggest deal. It was just insignificant compared to other podcasts. I felt so inadequate. Hi, I'm Buck. I felt myself consistently looking at other podcasts. They seem so massive. My friends and I were finally able to conquer podcast envy when I found... 
the Boston Podcast Network. They gave us a new podcast, a mighty powerful one, too. They even gave it a name, Shawshanked. We finally had a podcast, one we could hold up high and be proud of. We were now able to whip out our podcast and expose it publicly. Thousands of people received our podcast on the internet on pod 617. Some enjoy our podcast in bits and spurts. Many prefer to swallow it whole. Either way, don't wait any longer. Please act now. End your own podcast envy. Go to pod617.com and take hold of your own podcast. Find our podcast Shawshank. See if you can handle it. Don't be ashamed of your little podcast. Get a big one at pod617.com. Does, um, do you, is your style or is this standard? Because I've, I've been to exactly one mediation in my life and it was it was the mediator had the parties in different rooms and went back and forth is that the the standard way to do it so not all the parties are together or does it come in different uh flavors and such yeah i mean it comes in different flavors but that is by far the most common i mean usually usually you have the parties together at the beginning where the mediator is discussing the process sometimes you allow the parties to make opening statements during that joint session Mm -hmm. uh to, because sometimes the parties want to hear, want to be heard. Right. They want to communicate their position, their concerns, uh, their needs to the other side. Uh, and uh, But sometimes that, that's only going to be uh, uh, destructive. I mean, it's only going to put the mediation on, on the wrong course. So mm-hmm. frequently mediators will say, we'll ha- have a joint session where they talk about the process and what's going to happen, but then split the parties up. Mm-hmm. It does become a little bit of shuttle diplomacy, but those first couple of private sessions or caucuses, uh, the mediator is trying to get a better understanding of the, the facts, the nature of the dispute, some of the circumstances, other things behind what they've been told that might be uh, reveal the, the party's interests and uh, what the party really needs to resolve the matter. You know, there's an old saying, you know, they take it from the, uh, the Stone song, you, uh, you know, can't always get what you want. Yeah. But, but if you, you know, try sometimes, yeah, you can get what you, you need. Get what you need. And that's really the... <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that's, I can go on. <laughs> <laughs> I get my Mick voice on. No. So it, but it must be an interesting dynamic for you because, uh, there's almost like, it's almost like you, they should do a reality show about mediation because it, because it's, um, a fascinating dynamic that it's confidential, right? It's confidential, which is why you couldn't do a reality show. Well, you'd have to have that way, but, <laughs> but, but they can tell you things, um, that they're not going to say to the other party. And there's often a lot of anger involved, right? Sure. And so you you get to be the fly on the wall that goes back and forth and hears, and you know this side's angry, and then you go and you can't tell them things that they have said, or 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 actually you maybe you can. It's just it's just a confidential process. Tell us about that whole dynamic. Yeah. Well, no, it's you put your finger on a you know important issue. Is there is confidentiality that covers the whole process, so you're not you know. You're the, you don't want the parties cons- uh, concerned about being candid because something they say during the mediation process is then going to be used in the case if the, if the Later, case has yeah. to settle to mediation. But uh, there's also another level of, of confidentiality. If you're meeting with a party in private caucus and uh, they share some things with you, they mm-hmm. may or may not want that information shared with the other side. They're trying to you know, educate right. me, the mediator, but they may not want some of that shared with the other side. So I'll make, try to make clear what can I share with the other side? And mm-hmm. sometimes there'll be a little bit of discussion about that because uh, you know, I'll say, you know, I think it may be helpful if the other side knows A, B, and C. Why don't you let me tell them this? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then they say, well, you can share A, B, but I really don't want them to know C. Yeah. Wow. 
It's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, you know, yeah. people sometimes mix up mediation and arbitration, but they, you know, there's such a different process. Yeah. And for those that don't know, arbitration is closer to a trial. You hear the arguments and then you rule. Right. And they, they agree to be bound by your ruling. I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying no, it. That, that's, but that's exactly that's right. I mean, it. it's, it's, it's a private, uh, you're acting as a, a private judge, right. essentially. Right. Uh, but so you're not, through the process, you know, you're listening to the evidence. You Maybe you're making rulings on, on different uh, uh, things that are raised during the process because you're trying to move the process forward. But then ultimately you're sitting as the judge. You're making decisions. So you're not trying to get the parties to settle. You're not, your, your role is much more detached during the process. Whereas mediation, uh, you know, you're not, you're not judging. Uh, right. And, you know, and preferably you're in a very much of a facilitative mode. You're trying to help facilitate the parties in reaching their own settlement. Uh, but sometimes you have to put a, your evaluative hat on and, and uh, be a little bit of a, uh, you know, agent of reality. And, 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 uh, and that's what they would hire someone like me for is because you have 30 plus years of employment law experience. You kind of know the issues, you know, what's going to play or not play, what defenses are valid or not valid, what damages are available or not available. So, right. you know, they'll, they'll look for you to say, either explain to my client or explain to the other side why their position isn't as strong as uh, uh, he or she thinks it is. How often does it work? Mediation. Go back to mediation. Uh, you know, it, uh, certainly majority of the time, and it really depends on where it is in the process and whether or not it's a forced mediation or if it's something, you mm-hmm. know, a case that's, it could be a case that's been litigated for you know, six months or a year, mm-hmm. and the parties, the you know, parties represented by counsel decide, we want to mediate. You know, mm-hmm. we, we think the case should be resolved. We're not, we're unable to resolve it between ourselves for, you know, a, a number of reasons. So we want to mediate it. Those cases where you're hired as a mediator, the, the, the success rate is over 90%. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, where it's maybe at the outset, you know, it could be a mediation at the Mass Commission Against Discrimination or uh, at the EEOC where you're being told, we want you to mediate the case. And the parties, you know, aren't, aren't maybe really ready to mediate because they they don't know enough about, the lawyers don't know enough about the facts and the issues, the strengths and weaknesses of their cases. Uh, you know, the parties are all gung-ho. We're going to we're going to defeat this claim or we're going to, we're going to win this claim. And, uh, they haven't been battered by, uh, you know, months of, of, of discovery and right. depositions and, and attorney's fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, but early on, you know, the percentage, the success rate of mediation is much lower. Okay. Yeah. So you <laughs> it's the way it usually works, right? You, you slog and slog. And then finally it's like one party or both parties get exasperated, right? Yeah. I remember um, in, I'm sorry, Bob, you were going to say something. Go. Oh, no, just, I mean, that's one of the, yep. the, one of the reasons why mediation has become so common in employment cases is because uh, the, the court process or even the agency process is not the most effective or efficient way of resolving employment disputes because it tends to take a lot of time. It tends mm-hmm. to take a lot of money from, right. the, from the employer perspective look at it and say, well, we can defend this claim and spend, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, or we could resolve this case and we think we can resolve it for, you know, 10,000 or 50,000 or a hundred thousand and, uh, and be done and be done. And, and, but we're having a problem, you know, communicating between counsel because counsel will both have their, you know, gladiators, uh, you know, uh, suits on. And, uh, so that's where, you know, mediation comes in handy. I remember in law school, I had a, uh, dispute 
the class was dispute resolution. And of course, so that's what this is, the mediation arbitration. And he did an experiment, which was very effective. And what he said was he, he took a dollar bill out of his pocket and he said, I'm going to auction off this dollar bill. And so um, the, the hitch, though, is when you bid on this dollar bill, your last you if you don't get the if you don't win the auction you still have to pay whatever your highest bid was you just have to give me that money right so it started off and you know i have uh, this my friend uh nissim he he always has to win everything he's very competitive so he immediately starts bidding 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 Actually, no, I, I take it back. People are bidding up to a dollar. So you figure people are going to bid 75 cents because if they win, then they've won the dollar. So they've won a quarter there, right? However, uh, and then Nissim, my friend Nissim comes along and just to be a pain in the ass, he bid, he bids at a dollar ten. So, and, and his reasoning was he was just being a wise guy to try to thwart the other people who already had this money invested. But then it kept going. It kept going and going and going. And so, and so the dynamic emerged and, and you being a, a mediator, obviously, and an employment lawyer, Bob, you know where this is going, but it's, it's symbolic of a litigation that you keep putting in sunken costs. And so when someone got up to, you know, they're bidding $2 just to get $1, but they figure, well, if I win, I can still get that dollar back. And the bidding went up to, you know, over $3 or something. And so altogether, and the professor really collected the money too. It was kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) And he's got a whole bunch of different people, you know, making bids. And so he probably collected like, you know, $12 or something just for this $1 and somebody finally won. And at the end, it reminded me of what you just said, because at the end, people got exasperated and be like, all right, fine, just let that person have, you know, pay $4 for $1. But it's that sunken cost, right? And it's, it's um, you could feel the tension in the room, just as I imagine your, your cases. So you must, you must see that come to life. Oh, he should, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, another aspect of employment cases, which makes it suitable for mediation and arbitration is that there are, Emotions. Sure. It's not like a many business disputes, which are just, you know, uh, what does a contract say? What's the interpretation of contract employment disputes? There's, you know, there's people involved. There's people that have taken actions that want their actions to be defended by the company and, and, and people that, you know, relationships that have gone, gone south. And so there's more than, more than muddy an issue oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Right. And that sometimes can drive, you know, the, the party's willingness to resolve a case. Yeah, fight over you know something where the uh, the the cost of fighting over it is more than the value of the, the dispute or the cost of resolving it. Yeah, and people because emotions get involved, so people lose sight of the fact that right they they they're going to spend more. I mean, I think of the the Demula supermarket litigation in the nineties. They. I, Lord knows how much they spent on lawyers, but both sides of that family dispute just just kept bringing in the nuclear weapons and hiring additional law firms, and they must have spent you know millions, if not hundreds of millions on, and the amount that they were fighting over was probably less than that. Sad, sad, as our commander in chief would say. And if you want more info on the great Bob Shea, just go to Ogletree.com. Is that the best way, Bob? Or sure. you want to give out any other Absolutely info? Absolutely no. Ogletree.com. O G L E T R E E dot com. Excellent. Firm's website. Yep. And uh, find more information about Bob. He's a great guy to, to network with and meet and and uh, grab a cup of coffee with Bob. He had his Starbucks this morning. So um, thank you, Bob. Did you have fun? 
I had a lot of fun. All right. Excellent. Um, well, tell your friends about the Boston Podcast. And if you like it out there in listener land, please do share or uh, like us on uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever. And we thank you for listening. Pod617.com is the producer of this podcast, and we produce a lot of great shows here at our Westwood Studios. If you're interested in becoming your own podcast star, please go to that website and check it out and get in touch with us. And I also want to thank our sponsors, United States Postal Service, USPS.com slash careers. Our friends at Adori, A-D-O-R-I. Download that app on the App Store. You'll have a lot of fun with it. On behalf of the great Bob Shea, I'm Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Enjoy the day, everybody. You must be the other guy. 